The place we gather for holidays, family time, meals, and conversation is the table. It is at the table that we share life, share a meal, celebrate family, and make memories. Jesus calls his family to gather at a table. It's a table of fellowship, worship, joy, and life. Something special happens when we come to the table to give thanks. Something beautiful happens when we share together, pray together, worship, and commit together. Something wonderful happens when we gather in Christ's name at the table. Our family will gather at a table this afternoon. We'll be uh, celebrating Hunter's 23rd birthday. Ah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. Give Hunter a hand. His birthday was actually this past week, but today we gather to celebrate. Uh, we like to do a lot of family celebrating. We like to take birthdays and every holiday we can to gather and, and make those days special. And so one of the things that we like to do on each of the birthdays of the kids is replay old videotapes, and I mean videotapes, like VHS almost, you know, back in the day, and, uh, you know, relive some of the moments of Treadaway yesteryears. And uh, it's fun because it passes on to the rest of the kids, and that's what life was like. It's good to remember where we came from, you know, well, that was funny, that's good, and all that. It's good to remember where you've come from. It's good to remember who you are. It's good to remember on Veterans Day. In fact, one of the most uh, meaningful things you can say to a veteran today is thank you, we'll never forget. If you see one today, you come across one, that's what you should say, thank you, we'll never forget. It puts things into perspective when you remember where you've come from, when you remember how you got what you have. Because it's too easy to slip into not knowing those things. To think this is the way it's always been. To think this has always been like this. It's been easy. It hasn't. We stand today in the place of where many have fought so we might be free. So when Jesus wanted to pass on to the disciples, and to all those who would believe. When he wanted to pass on a way for them to remember what he had done, he instituted what we know as the Lord's Supper, or communion. And he memorialized it with the words, this do in remembrance of me. So we are doing today what Jesus said to do. We're going to use a passage of scripture that I'm sure is familiar to you if you've been around the church sometime and, and taken communion. The passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you have your Bible, you want to turn there, you can. If you're following along in an app or an iPad or whatever you've got, feel free to join me there or you can follow along on screen. Let me give a little bit of a background to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The letter was written to the church in Corinth, that's why it's called the Corinthians letter and Paul writes to a church at the time in the time of church I guess the history of church is still relatively new and it is filled with some trouble 
there is in fact some division within the church. There are people who have divided off against other groups within the church. And if you've ever been in a church where that kind of stuff has happened, you know how painful that is, how difficult that is. When the place that should be a place of love, when the place that should be a place of faith becomes a place where you don't know who you can trust anymore, where you look across the aisle and you kind of give a glaring eye at someone else because they're giving that, you that same glaring eye, all oh, those are, that's just tragic when the place of faith and love and joy becomes a place of contention and conflict. It's not meant to be. So the Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth because they were going through that. They were dividing off into cliques and claiming one group was better than the other group. And they brought that all the way over into even the time of communion. The time that should be the most centering, gathering time of all times. The most intimate expression of love to Jesus an experience of love to one another within the church body had become a place of conflict, contention. In fact, it had become something very selfish to many. As we're going to see, I'll, I'll tell you kind of the background on it. Some of the people in the church, uh, they, they took the time of communion, which was a little different than what we do today. Today, we are, uh, we're going to drink the juice, we're going to eat the bread, but... You go back to the Old Testament and early New Testament, this experience was part of, <clears throat> excuse me, a much larger meal, a full meal. That'd be kind of nice, right? You had a full meal and, and this was just part of it. I've done that before with the church. It's pretty awesome. The communion experience grew out of the Passover meal experience of the Old Testament. And so it was a full meal experience laced with memories of what God had done in history and heritage and rich truth. Every element of the meal meant something. Every element looked back at what God had done in the Old Testament when the people of God were freed from Egypt. But it looked forward to all that Jesus would be and what we experience today. So here in Corinth, when they sit down or prepare for this experience, it's a full meal. And so what was happening is some were coming to the church early because they wanted to make sure they got their food, right? They didn't want to miss out on anything. And in fact, more than that, they really didn't want to have to sit with certain people when they got there. So they made sure they got there ahead of time, got their food, and maybe a little bit more because the experience was all about them. So they got their food, so much so that when those who came in later and didn't have as much, when they arrived, the table was empty. There was no food. They were using what was meant to be the most sacrificial picture of love as a most selfish experience of pleasure for themselves. And so you can imagine the heartache as the Apostle Paul writes to a church who has totally missed the meaning, who is using what is meant to be sacred for something selfish and is causing conflict, dissension within the church. So today we begin 
chapter 11, verse 18 is where I'm beginning today. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. Oh, you're gathering together for an experience. You're gathering together for a religious observance, but you're really not gathering to eat the Lord's Supper. You're gathering to eat your own supper. You see, you can't come to the Lord's table and make it all about you. You can't come to a worship experience and let the worship be all about you. You can't come and get what all you want. It is the time to come and give worship to God. This is an experience about what Jesus has done. Worship that's selfish is no worship at all. Worship that's all about how it makes you feel is not worship at all. Worship that's used against others is evil. And the Apostle Paul writes with broken-hearted sorrow. What are you doing? Verse 21. For in eating Each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry, another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Can't you do that before you get there? Verse 22. Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Paul says, I, I, I want to write something of encouragement to you, but I can't. I can't because of what I know is happening. I can't let this go on. You're, you're taking the sacred and you're making it selfish. I can't let this go on, verse 23. And he gives us the instruction. He says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the night that those who said, we are with you, on the night that Peter had said, I will never turn against you, turned against him. In that night when he was forsaken, he took the bread. This experience that we partake of today came out of a night of sorrow and betrayal. Verse 24 And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The bread that they would have used that night, different than what we think of as bread today. If we we sit down for a meal like we will today, uh, our family, hunters requested that we have Sister Schubert rolls. Anybody familiar with Sister Schubert rolls? Just a few. All right. You should see them. They're in your refrigerated, I mean, freezer section of your favorite grocer. These great little rolls that are delicious. But, you know, today we love yeast bread. You know, I love walking through H-E-B and the bread's all puffy and it's warm. And I'd like to get some of that, put some butter on it, and, you know, just take all that. Mm, yes. But the Passover meal did not allow for yeast in the bread. Yeast was a picture of sin. And so when they produced bread, it looked like this. You turned it sideways, you almost didn't see it. (laughs) 
It's more like what we might think of a cracker. But this was unleavened bread. And so Jesus is there gathered with the disciples, Paul says, and this experience that he's teaching about comes from a night when Jesus, it's the same night he'll be betrayed. He said, on that night, Jesus took the bread, him, the disciples, and it says he broke the bread. Now we all know that this experience is full of rich meaning. It's full of metaphors and truths. This one is interesting though because in it Jesus says that or the Bible says that Jesus took the bread and he broke it. Now, the scripture is very clear that when Jesus went to the cross, he never had a bone that was broken. There was no broken bone in the body of Jesus. But the story tells us that Jesus broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples. So breaking the bread, Jesus gave it to his disciples so that each one had some. He broke it and he gave it, but his body was not broken. Jesus, what do you mean? Full of rich meaning. I think what Jesus was saying in that meal was, this is my body, which is for you. And in breaking and giving, each was receiving part of the whole. Each was receiving part of the single piece that we began with. Each would hold in their hands what pictured the very life of Jesus so that when they came together, each had a part. You see, communion was never meant to be just an individual experience. It's not something you do in your closet. It's not something you do alone. It's not something you do in private. It's something you do in the context of the body. It's what the Bible teaches. And so when Jesus took and he broke bread and he gave it, it was picturing that each of us hold within us the very presence of Christ. And I need what is in you as Christ. The Apostle Paul would go on and talk about the church being like a body and each member being like a member of our own body, a hand and a foot, and they were all necessary. So when we come to the table today, there's a reason that the room is arranged the way it is. There's a reason the table is here today. There's a reason the table is in the shape of a square today. Because when we come to the table today, this is not going to just be a personal experience. It'll have that element to it. But if we come together to the table because we come together. And we have to take communion in the context of church. It's important that we see one another eye to eye at this table. 
It's important that we know who stands beside us at this table. It's important that we examine ourselves in light of the body at the table. Because I need what's in you. I need the Jesus that's in Phil. I need the Jesus that's in Jonathan. I need the Jesus that's in Jerry. Because the body is complete when the parts come together. Amen. 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 Verse 25, it says, In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus was instituting something new that night. It was a new covenant. There had been a covenant. There had been an arrangement. There had been an agreement, a way that man related to God. But there was about to be instituted a new way. The old way was based upon the sacrifice of a lamb for the sins of man. And it happened annually. They kept up with their sin. They brought a sacrifice for their sin that atoned for it. And it was through the sacrifice of lamb that their sins were atoned for. And Jesus was beginning something brand new. This would be a new covenant. This covenant would no longer be through the sacrifice of a lamb often. This new sacrifice would be by one, the Lamb of God, who had come to take away the sins of the world, Jesus. This new covenant wasn't based on something you did annually. This new covenant was based on something one had done once. And in doing so once, he had forever removed and cleansed their sins so that God might remember their sins no more. This is a new covenant. It was something brand new that was being instituted on this night. Jesus said in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And then Jesus gave, or the Apostle Paul gave a warning in this passage. In verses 27 through 32, I'll read it to you. He says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak, and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. There is an unworthy way of approaching the table today. There is a way that God would say to us, do not come in this way. And that way is coming one without proper examination. God, 
Search my heart today. God, would you reveal anything in me that is not according to your ways? Not so that I would be condemned, but so that I could be cleansed. So that I might know forgiveness and walk in (coughs) true joy. There's a way that would be unworthy to approach the table this morning. That would be without considering relationships. Thinking that this has nothing to do with this. Thinking that the vertical has nothing to do with the horizontal. This has all to do with this. You can't say you love God and hate your brother. You're called to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. They go together. So an unworthy way to approach the table this morning would be to think that this has nothing to do with the relationships in your life. In fact, when he says examine yourself, it's in the context of community. If you're going to examine your heart, it has to be in the context of your relationships. Yes, it's about you and Christ, but you can't separate him from them. And so when you come this morning, as you prepare to come this morning, you have to think through, am I being forgiving of others? Am I patient? Am I a servant? Am I understanding? Am I kind? Do I sacrifice like Jesus does? This is how you examine yourself. This is the context. That's why it's a table and not a closet that you go to. Verse 33 ends with a fascinating um, piece to this passage. I know there's 34, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end it on verse 33. It says this, Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Don't let this experience be just about you. Don't rush in, eat what you can. Let it be all about you without any consideration of others. You can't have this without this. So when you come together, as we do today, we're going to wait for one another. We'll have some time for personal examination, but we will make sure we do this in the context of community. So a few, a few truths before we pray and partake this morning. And they are these. The table is meant to be kept sacred. We are attempting to do that today make this moment unique, special, sacred. This is not trivial. This is not just a religious exercise. This is about the most intimate experience you can have with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are about to eat what represents his body and drink what represents his blood. That is an intimate experience of worship that you have with him. And so this moment is to be sacred today. 
It's not to be mixed with personal agenda. It's not to be mixed with selfishness. It's not to be mixed with pettiness. It's not to be taken without consideration of sin in our life. It must be kept sacred. But the table is also meant to be what keeps us centered. Boy, if there's ever a time that the church needs to be centered, is today. It's too easy to get pulled aside into side skirmishes, other events. It's too easy to get caught up in, well, I like things this way. Well, I like it this way. Well, I understand that, but we don't come together because of our likes. We come together because Jesus is at the center. Amen? Amen? And we come this morning, and we all have different likes. We like different types of music, different types of food. We even, you may even live out your faith in your life a little different than I do. Some people have different convictions than other people do. And that's okay. It's not up to us to let those be what divide us. It's times like this that are meant to remind us what centers us. And Jesus is the center of us. That's why it's here in the center of the room today. We've been made one with the Son of God. This is what centers us. We have been given an inheritance in Him. The same inheritance He shares. We've been seated with Him in heavenly places already. We have been made at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been loved while we were still enemies. We have been delivered from the power of darkness to no longer live under its control. We have received the Spirit of God and are no longer under bondage. We are sons and daughters of God. We are the church that Jesus is building that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. This is what we center on. This is who we are. In the midst of distractions and so much else that's going on, this is our moment to remember what centers us. This is why we do what we do. This is why we gather. This is why we serve. This is why we worship. This is why we teach. This is why we gather in groups. This is what we are all about. This is why we study the Word of God. This is why we gather. This is who we are. Jesus is the center. Amen. The table is also meant to be experienced together, as I talked about. This morning at the table, we'll all come from different places in our life. Some of us will come in the midst of struggles today. Some will come to the table at a place of strength today. Some will come to the table in the midst of great suffering Some will come at a time of celebrating. Some will come in the midst of great fear. Some will come who are dauntless. Some will come who are discouraged. But some will come who are empowered. 
Some will come who are brand new in the faith. Some will come as saints who have walked with God and found Him faithful. And we all come to this table together. And there's no hierarchy at the table. There's no greater than at the table. There's no, you're more important at the table. You come to the table and Jesus is important. You come to the table and we all stand there together as children. It's meant to be experienced together. It's also a table that's meant for our deepest consecration, commitment. I know you hear a passage like this and a message like this, and you might think, oh my goodness, well, who? Who can get up out of their seat and go to that table? Who is worthy? The answer is none, apart from Jesus Christ. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're already, God's speaking to you about some errors in your life that you're feeling conviction, you're feeling the need to remove from your life, the need to ask for forgiveness, that's a great thing. Do what we're supposed to do with that. Ask forgiveness and receive that forgiveness. Don't let the sin that's in your seat right now keep you from getting to the table because the table is the answer to the sin in your seat. So when God convicts you, repent of it. Thank him for his blood. Thank him for the body. And get up and get to the table. Amen? It's the time of our deepest consecration. It's here we repent. It's here we commit. It's here we say no more of that attitude in my life. No more of that sin in my life. No more. I'll now walk with Jesus fully and completely. But it's also a table of anticipation. You know, it's kind of fitting, I guess, that it's really just some juice and unleavened bread today. It's not enough to truly fill you up. You wouldn't make a meal off of this stuff. But this meal in which we partake today is really just an appetizer. It's really just to kind of get you started. Because one day, there'll be a meal in heaven. One day when the saints are gathered home. One day when we're in that place, we will be the bride and Jesus will be the groom and there'll be a wedding feast of food you can't even imagine. And it won't taste anything like Texas barbecue, as great as that is, but it'll be the riches of heaven. It'll be eating in the reality of the inheritance of God. It'll be eating in life free from pain. Life free from discouragement. Life free from doubt. Life free from temptation. It'll be life abundant at that table as we see the saints of God gathered around who have trusted, as we see Jesus at the table as our groom, as we celebrate all he's given to us. That will be the feast of the ages and all eternity. Amen. Amen. In that day, all that we long for and believe now by faith will become sight. Amen. 
all the things you've held onto like an anchor for your soul, that day you will see face to face. So today we eat in anticipation. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, as Paul said. So this is the table we come to today. Let me give you some instructions for how our time will go. I'm going to pray here in just a moment. Then after that, I'll give you some time if you'd like to pray in your seat. Time where you can just talk with God. Let Him talk with you. And when you're ready, come to the table. Come here. Pick up one of the pieces of bread. Pick up one of the cups of juice. And while you're holding them in your hand, I want you to just look around the table. There'll be other people there. I want you to examine yourself in light of the context, in light of the fact that you're not alone at this table. When you've looked around, make your way back to your seat and wait there. Because today, we're going to partake together. I'll give you instruction when you get back to your seat. We'll take the bread together. We'll drink the juice together. And we're going to sing. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, today we are reminded of the sacredness of the table. We're overwhelmed at the fact that it's a holy table. It's a table of mercy and grace. A table of the Lord Jesus himself. And so in preparation, we ask you to examine our hearts, Father. Speak to us. Convict us. Cleanse us. That we might receive what's at the table. live in great joy because of what you've done. Father, today we're humbled at the gift and the invitation to come to your table. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I really hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. I hope it has inspired you to lift him up and live him out. If you'd like to know more about Vertical Church, check us out online at verticalchurchovilla.com. We'll see you next time.